Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Yeah, it's like the day, it's the harshest cut we can make. So it feels really like performative. It feels really significant when you're just like, man, they just let 6,000 people go. Like that's rough. They mean business. Yeah. And let's, you know, let's move on. Let's not look at the rest of Let's not look at the rest of the expenses. Yeah, <laughs> like let's not look at what the CEO's bonus was this year. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Which, by the way, if you lay off people in a year, you should not get a bonus that year. Just a note for any Is CEOs right? listening. Yeah, that's how I, that's how I evaluate it, yeah. Everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Rodney Evans, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Aaron Dignan. Salute. On today's episode, we are going to talk about something we're seeing a lot of in the news these days, which is layoffs, reductions in force, mass firings, severings, etc. It's on so many people's minds, and we recently got a listener question from a lovely human named Beth, which was, what is the adaptive and human way of doing layoffs? Why do leadership teams still assume the worst of employees and pull communications, files, etc.? Feels like a corporate standard that could use some unpacking. So (laughs) unpack we will, but before we do, let us check in. We got to check in. We can't do riffs before we check in. We cannot. Uh, So let's begin like all the other episodes with a quick question to get us centered. And this one is kind of a fun one. We recently did this at the ready and it has had a cool echo effect where it keeps getting brought back up. And so the check-in question for today is for, for each of us to say about each other and you at home would ask this of your colleagues, what would be on my bingo card or your bingo card in terms of things we do a lot at work or say a lot at work, et cetera? So why don't you do one for me and then I'll do one for you. I, I'm adding a square Ooh, to your bingo card today. Great. I just thought of a second one that I should have said. What I did say in the meeting and I maintain is Aaron's bingo square is eating during a meeting. <laughs> It usually, sometimes it's just snacking, but 50% of the time it involves going to another room off camera to get the food. Yes. And then eating the food. It's a whole production. Um, It's a a production and it's just, it's to be expected. The part that is mystifying to me is that it truly seems like it could be any (laughs) time of day, which I'm like, does he, do they follow any sort of like meal schedule or is just like, or do you just wait until you're having, I don't know. We don't need to know. It's just something I noticed. And the other square that I'm adding to Aaron's bingo card today is throwing in an unexpected metaphor. <laughs> Which I feel like is a gift. It is, although sometimes they're not great. It's You kind of just have to swing for the fences every time. And the food thing is a symptom of my dysfunction in the sense that like, when you overcommit, you are often in a lot of meetings back to back. And so eating kind of happens whenever you can squeeze it in. And often the people I'm most comfortable with get the get the time to make food moment. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, it. it does happen. My, my addition to your bingo card for today is just one second. I have to either let Rosie out of the room or into the room or yes. move the dogs around. And some, the, the dogs must be moved from wherever they are to somewhere else. Oh, my God. It's truly, one of them is right now rattling the door of this closet in its frame. They (laughs) never want to be where they are. They only want to be on the other side of any closed door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's Sisyphean in this house. And you have a like lightly frustrated way of acknowledging that you need to go do that. You're not mad, but you're not psyched either. You're kind of like, just one second and then you're going to. Let them out or let them in or tell them no. It's so yeah, true. It's great. I cop so. to it fully. 
<laughs> All right. So today's topic is what the people positive and complexity conscious way is to handle layoffs. Let's start with asking you, Aaron. Uh, have you ever been laid off? Uh, yeah. You were? I, I don't know this. I have been laid off. Yeah. Tell when me. I mean, technically speaking, yes. When the company before the ready, which was called Undercurrent, was acquired, the acquiring company went under uh, for a bunch of reasons we won't get into that were wild and unexpected. And they, when they went under, they pulled us down with them. And so I was on an airplane, I think, to a speech or something the day that the all the people marched in with all the paperwork and basically just let everyone go. And I was let go in the same moment by proxy. So yeah, I have been, <laughs> I have been laid up. And this was about five seconds after I bought a new house. Sweet. Yeah, it was awesome. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. What about you? No. Of course not. I have never been laid off. Such a star. I've never been fired either. Right. Which is wild. But I will say my my layoff adjacent story is that <laughs> when I was working, my first, first, first job was at KPMG Consulting. Okay. And never heard of it. Never. <laughs> not a thing. And um, it was, I started in 2000, like 10 seconds after I graduated from college. And then internet <laughs> bust, you know, and... <laughs> And the the department that I was in was 90 people when I Ooh. started and they laid off all but 10. Whoa. And I had no money and student loans. And I just rented a studio apartment in New York City and I was mm-hmm. freaking the fuck out. And what I didn't know then that I know now is that probably top of the list of reasons they kept me is because I was the cheapest person. Right. Yeah. You were cheap and hard worker who doesn't cost a lot. That's easy. At the time I was like, wow, I can't, this is so great. This is such a boon to my career. And now I'm like, oh no, this was a cost exercise and I cost the least amount of money. But it was very, it was, it was a very, it was a like three or four weeks after I started. Oh, and wow. I was just like, just oh, I didn't know that this could happen. And now all of these people I just met, including my manager, are crying and packing boxes. Well, funny what you should say that fuck? because Sam Sperlin, our colleague, former guest on the show, friend of the show, yes. Sam Sperlin, was at Undercurrent three weeks when we were all laid off. And that's one of the reasons why he was employee number one at the ready. You're like, I got to give this just, dude a lifeline. Well, I was like, I really want to work with this guy. And and That's suddenly, nice you know, almost over. It. Yeah, so that was that was really funny. I also got just on a personal note a lot of shit from my brother when I was laid off. Mm. Like he took that moment, which he knew was probably the only moment he was ever going to get to like wow, when we went man. out to dinner, be like, "So you know, you're unemployed, you okay, like, buddy? What's that like? You know?" Yeah. And and we we sort of sat in that. Uh, he savored that for a bit. I enjoyed it. It was motivation for me. It was grist for the mill <laughs> to get the ready started. <laughs> That's amazing. So, uh, yeah. so not yet. I haven't had the experience yet. I have a lot of empathy for people who have, and totally. I was involved in my banking days in hundreds, maybe a thousand, hundreds of layoff conversations. So, I, I have, I have some lived experience on the other side of the table. Yeah. Well, and that was sort of where we wanted to go next was to talk a little bit about have you had personal experience with that? And it sounds like you've had an enormous amount of how much personal Way more experience than I ever with that. Wanted. Yeah. yeah. What What are your reflections on being part of the traditional experience mm. and the traditional process? Yeah. I mean, like a lot of work practices, I feel like one of the things that was really unfortunate about those years is that a bunch of stuff get smushed together that shouldn't really be. So like, you know, I was working at an investment bank, right? Like during the financial crisis, Mm. every bank was shrinking. That was just, that was par for the course. You know, the markets were crashing and et cetera. But when selling off a business and trying to get rid of a bunch of low performers and outsourcing a bunch of things and doing straight up no shit, we we have to like refactor how this work is to save money, mm. all becomes one exercise. Yeah. 
I think it's I think it's hard for, harder for the people involved because mm-hmm. look there were there were a lot of people in those conversations on the other side of the table who were like yo I can read the tea leaves like I see what's happening here you know like this is be this this desk is being shut down or right. this operation is being moved you know near shore or offshore or whatever and and they were like perfectly very clear on the environmental context and also because all of that was lumped together and yeah. it was an excuse to deal with a bunch of performance issues that had been ignored or overlooked or punted it like cast this pall on something that it shouldn't have right like it could be a clean exercise and instead it's really messy yeah exactly yeah Exactly. So my experience was generally, you know, I mean, it was, it was a difficult thing, honestly, to do, not nearly as difficult for me as for the people who were getting severance packages, but (laughs) doing, you know, usually 10 to 15 of those meetings a day, Mm -hmm. usually one to two days a week for months was not super easy to do. No, I didn't, it was not my favorite part of my job, though I did learn a lot from doing it. Sure, sure. Yeah, it is funny to me. I, I feel like not to not to jump too far ahead here, but like the pattern of layoffs happening in downturns and hiring happening in when things are looking good, it has a bit of a feast or famine over yes. over adjusted kind of non not disciplined vibe to me, in the sense that like when things are good, people overdo it, and when things are bad, they kind of try to claw it all back and and in some ways blame it on the economy when really you almost want to blame it on the operating system of the economy that encourages that kind of behavior because mm-hmm. there are companies right now and and we we've had some of them on the show like ConvertKit for example where they're not doing any layoffs because mm-hmm. Nathan was like oh we didn't hire like freaking idiots for the last 2 years mm-hmm. right like we just steady state grew our business kept our heads down we're smart about it so we're not 30% bloated. Like we might be yeah. 2% bloated or 1 or 5% bloated, but when these companies end up having to cut like 20% of their workforce, to me it begs the question of like what were you thinking before and and how how are you perceiving like the risk reward of of playing this game and what it boils down to for me is they just don't care about the human cost mm. of playing that game. Like it's it is beneficial to them economically to drive really hard when times are good and to cut really deep when times are bad. And so the people are just going to be caught in those waves. Yeah. For better or for worse. That's interesting. I was going to ask you why you thought that was. Mm. Yeah. I I feel like maybe like having been in some of those rooms when everyone's <laughs> like, we're in the money, you know, <laughs> let's buy a jet, you know, like I, I also... I think there there are a couple of things that happen like mm. in the dynamic in addition to what you're saying which is okay. they're not thinking about long-term consequences but one is just a failure of imagination to think about this ending like yeah, I just yeah. wonder what it is psychologically we're like when human beings are in crisis we're like this too will pass and when we're when it's the boom time, we're like, we're never going to die. Never end. And it's just <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. what happens to us, you know? <laughs> but I do feel like that is the case. And, you know, how many times have you been in a conversation where there's a really great quarter and people are like, let's buy our competition. And you're like, right. you cannot afford whoa, that. Whoa, do whoa, Do that, you yeah. know? Let's um, buy Twitter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. It's like poor impulse control. So I feel like failure to imagine a time that is not as good as this time is a is pervasive. Yeah. And then I also think that when things are good, I'm curious your take on this, but I feel like when things are good, this this sort of urgency does creep up of like we have to like capitalize on the this. moment and like the market's moving and like there's all of this money and there's there's free you know there's free cash flowing and there's investment dollars flowing and like if we don't snatch it someone else will and yeah. and I feel like that begets a like real growth growth at all cost and like real sense of urgency that does not uh look great in the rear yes. view usually. I I struggle with this one the most personally. I don't really? I don't struggle as much with the other variables, but I struggle with this idea and it's a wrong-headed idea that like the winners of this game right now as it sits on the field 
are the are like that's all that there's ever going to be. There's and the just reality, the one time, right? And it's just yeah. like oh, if we don't seize the opportunity now, if we don't open in Japan now, then we'll never get to. Mm-hmm. And and that that psychology does creep in, and then but then the metaphor to my bingo card. Let's hear um, it. <laughs> the, that I liken this to is like, are we playing one game of musical chairs or are there many games of musical chairs going on mm. in the room? And if you have the one game mindset, you're like, there's only seven chairs left. Like we got to go. We got to jump. Get a, get a seat. But if you pull out just a little bit and look out at the broader landscape, you're like, wait a second. There isn't one game to win here. There's these waves of games happening in every industry all the time. And the next thing that is going to matter is always around the corner. So like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's okay if we don't completely dominate our industry during this one three-year uptick. Because guess what? It's going to get disrupted anyway. Yeah. In the next downturn, something's going to happen and then it's going to be completely different. And then that won't matter. And yeah. and the the very real example I've seen this lately. Not, I don't want to get too far off track from the topic, but we're allowed I'll do, to do whatever I'll, we want. As I'll do one little bit. This is no, our show. We'll no one can want. stop us. There's <laughs> no, no executive producer. <laughs> um, the <laughs> the thing that I've noticed is if you look at the example of like a company that does design, might have been like, all right, this is the moment we need to hire all the designers that matter. If we don't get all of them while we're while we're flush will lose to the competition because they'll have the better designers. And that sounds mm-hmm. totally right on paper. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what's happened with AI design over the last two years, where you can now just go to a service and type in, like, I want to see a shoe floating in the air over a pyramid. And the mm-hmm. AI just makes that shit happen. You look at that and you're like, rut row, I hope I don't have 400 amazing designers working sure. for me in five years because yeah. it's a whole new game then. Yeah. And like that to me is the thing I have to keep reminding myself of when times are good is like, Look around the corner, not just at winning the musical chairs that you're in. Mm-hmm. And part of that means saving some powder for what's next. Part of that means investing in what's next. And part of that means just like keep a cool head. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's and I don't placing know, it, multiple bets, like yeah, exactly. not being like this is the only you know this is the only game in town. Yeah, I that's really interesting. Yeah, and, and you and you do sort of you notice in the tenor of a lot of these announcements that there is a leader usually or a couple of leaders being like, we got it wrong. <laughs> Can and we talk about that? Fired. Can yeah. we pivot to the announcements? Because that's Let's what I really want to drag. Sure. They Speaking of AI, the we're laying people off announcement pretty much can be written by AI from now on. <laughs> because it's the same fucking note every time. And yeah. whenever I see someone on Twitter or LinkedIn being like, this one was especially good. And then uh-huh. I read it. I'm like, it was especially the same as every other decent note that I've read all year. Yeah. What what bugs you about that? That it is that it is formulaic and therefore possibly not authentic is what mm. bothers me. That what I it that is is it's like you go through these moves, these are the motions. It feels like when someone stands up in court and like says their bit, but the lawyer is like poking them the whole time, like uh-huh. say this and then say that and then say this. Uh-huh. And and they're and they're doing that. And because it's in writing, there's no intonation. It's just so look, I'm just gonna cut to the quick here. We're gonna yeah. lay off 13% of the workforce. If you'll be affected, you'll get an email within the next five minutes. And mm-hmm. after that, there's gonna be an opportunity to talk with a manager or a leader in the company so you can have that face-to-face time that we all know is so important. And above all, I just really wanna say this was completely my fault. Like <laughs> I made a bad call last year and I am 100% responsible for that. Not that anything bad will ever fucking happen to me, by the way, I'm a billionaire, but I'm really responsible for that. And I just want to say we're going to do better going forward. So, you know, on Monday, like, come back and be ready because we're going to have to dig in and figure out how we make this thing keep moving. And don't worry, things are still looking up. There's a bright future ahead. Right. Love, Mark, or whoever the fuck wrote right. it. And yeah. I'm just like, if I can do that from memory and that's what they sound like, then it's not. If I'm losing my job reading that, I'm just like, come on, dude. Yeah. Come yeah. on. I mean, I think they're always trying to ride the yes. line of like, t- say what you need to say, but keep everybody else motivated. Yep. Yep. So like, definitely talk out of both sides of your mouth in every part of this. And yeah. I also think the thing that is challenging about the mass memo is it is deeply impersonal because an entire company and all of the internet is reading it, <laughs> where this 
life event is so deeply personal. Super personal, yeah. And that is, you know, from having been in hundreds or maybe a thousand layoff conversations in my life. You you just like, you just do not know what is underneath the surface until Mm -hmm. you are in that conversation and someone is like, I'm a single mom adopting a baby from Russia. And if I lose my job right now, I'm not going to get my child, which is a true story. Um, And, you know, you just like, you do not know what is happening in someone's life until you have a conversation that is going to radically alter their circumstances and find find out. And so I feel like the the sanitized communication that's like, sorry, we guessed wrong. <laughs> we feels it. not it feels very dissonant with the experience that people are having. I was looking at life stress inventories this morning oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. as research for the book. And being fired at work is number eight. It goes it's death of a spouse, divorce, separation, jail, death of a close family member, Major personal injury, marriage, which I think is hilarious, is number seven, and then being fired at work. Wow. So like more than like <laughs> death of a close friend, you know, foreclosure. Right. Like, more than like really other significant life events, being fired is is in the top 10. And I, I get it because as we've talked about on the show in past episodes, work figures so critically into our identity now. It's our tribal identity. It's our friends group. It's our like social utility. Like to lose that is to lose a lot of different pieces of what makes you, you in your own psyche, even though that shouldn't be the case. That is, that is the case for a lot of people. And I think you're right. I think it's like, yeah, the dissonance between the reality on the ground and the note in the air is bothersome. And I think I'm even more bothered by it because I don't know, like I understand why it is the way it is. Totally. Yeah. You know, there are there are legal, operational, security, functional reasons why it is the way it is. Yeah. But it's just sort of like the whole thing is just like meh. It is. It is meh. All right. Before we move on to what to do instead, <laughs> is there anything else that you notice that is particularly bad or unfortunate or to be avoided? in layoff conversations or announcements or generally in processes? I think the thing that's most offensive to people, and I understand it from both sides, but I still find it icky and I try not to do it, is the like, everything that you use here is cut off the moment you get this note. Yes. And you've seen examples of this with like, you know, people walking out of Lehman Brothers and their phone doesn't work so they can't call a cab or like, you know, it's just, it's part of the meme that like, now here's your box and like, we're going to walk you to your desk. The security mm-hmm. guards are going to walk you to your desk with your box to make sure that you don't steal anything. It feels to me like the final icing on the, we don't trust you cake mm-hmm. that is present throughout employment, mm-hmm. which is like, you are an untrustworthy criminal is basically the default stance of a, of a fortune 500 company with an employee. And they finish it really strong on that stance where they're just like, none of your shit works anymore. You're not going to steal anything. You're not going to touch anything. We're going to just ensure that that doesn't happen. Of course, the reason is clear because they know that, you know, one or two bad actors can make, make a bunch of trouble and things can go really off the rails if somebody chooses to do the wrong thing. Throw a chair, bend there. Yeah, whatever. But it like adds, it adds insult to injury at a really rough time, I think, yeah. in a way. And so... It's hard to it's hard to justify even while even while it is sensible from like a risk management standpoint. Can I tell you what I used to do? And you can tell yeah. me if you think this is just as bad. Okay. Not so much from a truly not from a like security, I'm worried about you, you know, downloading your client <laughs> Rolodex or whatever. But I always felt like after I had done enough of these conversations and seen the emotional state that people were generally in, and incidentally, at this time in my career, I was in HR. So the manager who was delivering the message was generally also a basket case. Mm -hmm. And the person being laid off was like usually fairly shell-shocked in the moment. Mm -hmm. And my job (laughs) was to be like, okay, manager, you're done now because if you stay here, you're going to make this about you and like nobody needs that. So Mm -mm. off you go. And like, I'm going to stay here and, you know, help this person out (laughs) of this building. And 
what I started doing, I felt like sending people to their desk, even like without a box or security or anything like that, was the most denigrating walk of shame right? that you could do to someone. Go clear out so we're shit. in open plan environments right. and I'm going to send you... So everybody probably knows at this point what's happened because they've all stopped working and they're just like watching the conference mm-hmm. room door. And now you have to go back to your desk and either not make eye contact with your coworkers, at potentially all. of years or decades, or answer their questions about what has happened to you, which incidentally is really a question about whether they're going to get fired next (laughs) and hold it together while you're trying to like grab your belongings. So what I started doing was once we got through the severance package conversation, assuming that the person was like, you know, relatively okay, I would be like, look, I don't think you should go back to your desk because people are going to ask you a bunch of questions. How about I go to your desk I'll get whatever you need for today. I'll call you a car and I will have everything in your desk packed up and sent to your house if you want to just go to the elevator. 9.8 times out of 10, people were like that. Hell yeah. Let's take that. Door number one. Let let me into the (laughs) elevator (laughs) right now. Is there Um, an elevator in this room, perhaps? (laughs) I started actually later on, I started doing it on a different floor for that reason. So that people just didn't even have to worry about standing. I worked in a very tall building, standing and waiting by the elevator while While their colleagues were like, are you coming to lunch? And they're like, not today or ever again, as it turns out. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? I think it's really smart. Do you think it's worse? No, because I I think what you're doing there is you're thinking about them, which is nice. So yeah. like right out of the gate, just just some like user-centered design where it's like, what would I want? What would be uncomfortable for them? What, how can I make them more comfortable? And even just giving them options, right? Like, yeah. do you want to go back to your desk and clear all your shit out? Great. Do you want us to take care of it for you? Great. We just want to make this as comfortable as possible for you because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I think it's fine. And and it definitely, yeah, it's something that I, w- I would appreciate for sure. Yeah, people don't want to go chat about how they just got fired. That, like people, the people's main thing, like in the moment, is how am I going to tell my spouse? Right. So, like, what they don't want to do is go talk to their coworkers because they don't Mm-mm. give a fuck at that point about what their no. coworkers want to know, need to know, how they feel about no, it. No. They're just like, how am I going to go home and tell I live in New York City and tell my spouse that we cannot afford private school anymore? Yes. In yes. One hour. All right, I'm going to pivot to another thing I don't like. Okay. Related and and sort of connected. The next speech that happens after all those people leave the building uh. is the speech where someone comes out and is like, let's hear it, everybody. Everything's going to be fine, yada, yada. It's a version of the note I just read. But here's the thing yes. they often say, in my experience, that I find really gross, is they're like, those people are gone. We'll never speak of them again. Mm, right? It's It's kind of the like... It's like that's an off limits or taboo subject now to talk about the people we let go, mm-hmm. which is basically an admission that we did something wrong because like we totally. don't want to hear about it. We don't want to yeah. like dwell in the negative. Of it. Yeah. So like they're dead. Yeah. And I've I have been in places and I've talked to people in places where that is the experience. That's the way yeah. they that's the way they talk. If you just like did language analysis, they talk about their former colleagues as if they were dead. Mm-hmm. When it's like, no, they're just alumni now. And they are off to do the next thing. And we don't have to pretend they never existed. (laughs) Totally. But I also think not, this is not in opposition, but also like it, it is a kind of death. Yeah. 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 There's something to grieve. I'm like having, like treating it as such. I actually think like there is some value in that, not in the like, this person is actually dead and, you know, we will speak of them no more. But I do feel like there are systems that we have worked with and around where because of the very thing you're talking about and people not being allowed to like grieve or express emotion or feeling, all of that just like gets, it all just like goes under the surface and it creates a whole bunch of like, sadness and it's Irish therapy and yeah it's not (laughs) I don't know what that means just don't talk about it (laughs) so not therapy (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I remember doing at the beginning of a client project you were there I don't know if you remember this but I remember 
doing a retro. This is not a client who had ever done things like retros before. And we did this retro. We had like worked with the executive team and then we did a retro with like a more expanded group. I don't know, maybe it was one and two level down or something like that. And they had laid off a ton of people in the fourth quarter of the prior year. And this was like the first or second week in January. And we had been told very clearly by the executive team that the layoffs had gone very smoothly. Mm-hmm. Everybody understood that they were the right decision and that was not what needed to be discussed. And in the yes. retrospective, that was all that anybody wanted to talk about, which was like, how did this happen? What the fuck happened? Where did these people go? How are we sure that that's not going to happen again? Blah, 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 blah. And it was like, y'all, you can't just wish this away. Like, I remember, I remember talking about co-workers. this. Yeah, yeah. They noticed, like, FYI, they're tracking yeah. that their friends aren't here anymore. But there's such a walk it off vibe. Walk it off. Push it down. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. I don't like any of that. I also, my number one, no, you know what? I'm not even going to say this. I'm just going to ask you, what, what do you think? Here's the thing. I feel like the moment in which the person hears that they are losing their job is probably the most important moment. Mm-hmm. And we've seen examples recently of like people just being locked out of their email or having their mm-hmm. having access revoked and being like, well, this is the moment that I found out that I was fired is because yep. I can't get on Slack. So so if you were to design for that moment, how would it go? So now we're shifting a little bit into the how-to, right? What we might want to try. Sure. The positive. We can, unless you want to just like... No, 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 I'm ready. Off. I just am like, I'm... I'm noting the mile marker for the listener. Like, let's okay. go. Let's, let's go to the, the what to do. Because I was going to shit on like that that way of doing it, which uh, when I was in consulting, people went to put their hours in and they couldn't get into the timekeeping system. And that was how That's they thought they were laid off. That's great. Yeah, was, yeah. They were not thrilled. It's like an office space when it's like, no, the check will just stop coming to the house. <laughs> That's, and eventually they'll know. Yeah, I for me, it starts way before that. Like, I think the interesting place that I always go is, if we're talking about layoffs and not a one-off firing of a single individual, but an actual layoff, there's context going yeah. into this that should be circulating, right? Like that makes me wonder about your steering metrics and transparency around information and what, you know, what goals and KPIs you're using and how folks have access to that information. And like, what are the conversations happening for the weeks and months leading to that moment? And if there are none, and then it's just suddenly the axe drops, to me, you've already lost. Like that, we're already off off the plot. Mm-hmm. Because it, it should be uncomfortable, but not surprising that it's happening. And the surprise should maybe be that it's happening to you, because mm-hmm. it's hard for the ego to understand that. But it shouldn't mm-hmm. be like, oh my God, we're doing layoffs. It mm-hmm. should be like, yeah, we're we were we were over overdone and now we have to now we have to make some changes. That's the first thought mm-hmm. about about the timing and about that moment. I have some other like radical thoughts, but I would say in terms of just making that moment clear, I personally would like that to be from a person that I know and trust rather than a piece of paper or a piece of software. Mm -hmm. And I would like it to be the, the opening line of the discussion in the sense Mm -hmm. that like, I don't like when people try to build up and my experience both as an amateur and watching amateur layoff artists is they tend to make it unclear. Totally. So it's kind of like, well, the thing is, we're going to reduce like your role here to nothing. It's just like they, they, it's it's not entirely. You're great. (laughs) Yeah. Let's start there. there. I want to say that right out of the gate. Let's not start there. (laughs) Not mince words. So I think, I think like the, to me, the best one is like someone I know and trust cutting right to the quick in, in a, in an empathetic and clear tone. And then, giving some space for processing and mm. and and that is to me like varsity art form mm-hmm. like if you've done it a thousand times you're probably really good at it but most people aren't and and hit, nailing that like this is your last day here's the deal in a way where they still feel like you care about them as a human being is like yeah. that's tough okay even over time yep. would you rather have someone you know and trust or someone who's really good at it, if those can't be the same person. Someone who's really good at it. Yeah. 
I think that's the move. Personally, because the the danger zone occurs in the other scenario, which is like, I love and, and, and like trust you and you're making a mess of this. And so now I'm really confused and I'm really upset. Yeah. And I feel violated in a like interpersonal way that was not on the table if it was a random person that has the skill. By the way, I don't know if you've seen the movie Up in the Air with George Clooney, but yeah, I mean, like I was, it, I basically was that person, but right. Know. And that's what I was sort of thinking as you were talking about your experience. Yeah. And I was like, that, that movie does a good job of showing both the inhumane and the humane sides of that job and like what it looks like to try to do it well and, and also really poorly. But I was thinking about, about some of the discussions they have in that script where, where the George Clooney character is like, this is the worst day of their lives. Like you mm-hmm. need to, you need to hold them in like this kind of comfort and this kind of clarity and like, don't, you know, don't do all this other stuff. Yeah. And, and I always thought that was like interesting because you think of that character and that role in your life that that layoff person is like a really bad person. Mm-hmm. But to hear him be like, no, th- I'm like a doctor. Like this is a calling. This is an important moment. And I'm going to try to do this well. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very interesting. I feel like having laid a lot of people off who I had never met before, I would probably rather have someone competent also (laughs) because in that moment when people are in free fall, having a person across the table from you who is rock solid and who's like, I know how this is going to go. Yep. I have it from here. This is what's next. I used to say, as soon as the manager delivered their spiel and left the room, the first thing I used to say to people is, you're not going to remember the next three minutes. Don't even try and don't even worry about it. I'm going to give you the highlights and my phone number. We're going to get you out It's all in the packet. Because... People are like their com- their system is completely flooded with flooded. adrenaline. They yep. cannot make sense of what's happening in that moment. And so I would just be like, "You don't need to worry about that right now. We're just going to get through the next ten minutes, yep. and then we're going to talk tomorrow." Yep. And generally speaking, that went better than the super emo connected manager where they're like weeping together. I remember I worked with a guy <laughs> who's probably listening to this right now, and I he asked for my advice on how to. This was a, a firing. He asked for my advice on how to end this conversation, how to have this firing conversation with this man who he had known for a really long time. And I told, I gave him my advice, which was basically what I just said to you. I was like, know what you need to say, say it clearly, say it quickly, make it clear the door is open and get them out so that they can go and deal with their feelings, not in front of you because they don't want to do it in front of you. Right, right. And he did not listen to me because he is a very kind and empathic person. (laughs) And the conversation lasted for four and a half hours. Perfect. And he was like, okay, now I, now I understand. And I'm like, the thing that people, it's sort of like when you're in a difficult performance conversation, the thing that people miss is that they think that if they keep, or like a difficult breakup conversation, like they think if they keep talking about it at some point, it's going to make sense and feel good. Yeah. It's not. It's not going to make sense and it's not going to feel good in that conversation. Ever. So ma- so at least make it short. Right. Like it's bad, do it quickly. <laughs> yeah, and and the other metaphor I would say is like you go to a restaurant, they get your order wrong. Do you want to talk about it and argue about it with them for 2 hours or you just want to like get your food and go? Yeah. Right? Like there's no scenario where you feel good after 2 hours of arguing about what it should have been. Exactly. It's just like, no, it's not that. And also, I, I find, for what it's worth, that when things get long, often it turns to mm. the manager or the leader and what's wrong with them and how they created this condition. And it becomes a review, essentially, mm. um, which, is, which is, in some cases, valid, but not helpful in that yeah. conversation and not really appropriate, where it's just like, you know, this would be different if you had onboarded me correctly. And then the the bad like layoff person will take that bait and yeah. be like, well, let's talk about that. Let's get it right. And it's let's like not. the decision isn't going to change. So no. the rest of this is conjecture that will ultimately be painful for everyone involved. Yeah. And I guess, you know, it, this, this episode could be two hours long. I think the the other thing that I'm really bullish on when, when you talk about like what's a good layoff, et cetera, is what, you know, was a layoff the only move? Well, sure. You know, because... That's a good question. Because in so many cases, I feel like we 
we jump right to riff as like that's the move. You just gotta cut, gotta cut headcount. Yeah. And I don't know. It, it, there are so many scenarios where there are other options. And I know some of the stories in Brave New Work and in some of our other research and even episodes we've had are stories of a different kind of dialogue with a smaller workforce about like, we're short, what can we do? Yeah. And obviously that's not appropriate for every business in every moment, but there are definitely businesses and moments where that's an okay move to try first. Yeah. Which is just like, we're 10% heavy. What do y'all think we should do? Should we make some layoffs? Should we cut our, you know, average comp overall? Should we like, like, what are our, what are the moves we can make? Can Mm -hmm. we, can we get rid of business class travel? Like, what do we need to do? And depending on the shortfall, that can be, that can be really conducive. How much of the riff thing do you think is signaling to Wall Street? Oh God, so much. I, I mean, I think it's a great question because I think so much of this is performative where the reality is like they're going to hiring freeze for five seconds to get the bump and then they're going to start hiring again during the hiring freeze mm-hmm. and they're going to cut 20%. But then as soon as the stock gets back up and the market recovers, they're going to hire 30%. Yeah, And you just see like the numbers are staggering. Like if you look at recently, you know, public tech companies, et cetera, they like double headcount in a matter of a few years. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think a lot of it is is signaling like we're serious. We're going to put our grown up pants on yeah. and and try to drive profitability. And it's the easiest way to get profitability without being smart. Yeah, and just to like take <laughs> take cost out and right. and in in many cases, to your point, I think it is it's signaling cost out because you often see people get quote unquote fired and immediately hired back as contractors. Right, Usually exactly. at a premium in terms of the money, but Which it's even worse. a different part of P- the P&L. Yes, exactly. And so the analysis reads differently. Yeah, and so and the other reason to, like, I know it's... Bump the stock. The other reason I know it's theater is that they apply this logic equally to unprofitable startups or, profit, or startups that are near lean, like a Uber or a DoorDash or something, who, who historically have not had a lot of profitability. And companies like Google, where it's mm. like Google has to do a reduction in force for the market, for the analysts, for the show. But if you look at their PL, I mean, or look at Apple, like, does do Apple need a hiring freeze? Is they Apple have a poor? stupid PL, like a stupid PL. And yet, yeah. and then and yet they still have to do the dance. Mm-hmm. And it's like these are people's lives, and we're just doing the dance to bump the stock so that some executives and some fund managers can like get their bonus. Can be like, so okay, they were really serious this time. Yeah. And and I personally would prefer a model where we establish what profitability should look like for an mm-hmm. industry and then actually just do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, look, if a if a tech SaaS company should make 20% or 30% net income and you are, can we just leave you alone? Yeah. And just let it go and not and not pretend that you're not disciplined because you are super disciplined because you did that. Yeah. And if you are not hitting that, if you're at 1% and you're like propping up, you know, your pets.com, you should go away. Mm-hmm. Like you're not a real business. And so no mm-hmm. riff is going to matter. Like you're just playing, you're playing a different game. That's still theater. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that the, um, to me, if, if there is cost out to be done, that's important for the health of the business, then and 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 that needs to be done publicly because of shareholder confidence or board or whatever then why is that not a more holistic take like yeah. it does seem like usually it's like so we're going to fire 11% of people cuz we made mistakes and i'm like well there are other ways to take costs out of a business like this isn't the only one so what is the oh, like First of all, what's the number that you're trying to hit? That never, that's never part of the conversation, which I would right. be interested in. And that, like, to your point about Apple, it's like, okay, well, what, <laughs> how many pennies do you need to save in the mattress for next right. year, you know? Um, and, and and so if that is the strategy, what are the other levers you're pulling? Why is mm-hmm. this the only lever that we lean on? Is it is Is there an element of it that's like, it feels dramatic because of the human cost. And so right. that is the one that is it's like, the oh, deepest we're really digging deep. Yeah, it's like the day, it's the harshest cut we can make. So it feels really like performative. It feels really significant. 
when you're just like, man, they just let 6,000 people go. Like that's rough. They mean business. Yeah. And let's, you know, let's move on. Let's not look at the rest of, let's not look at the rest of the expenses. Yeah. <laughs> like let's not look at what the CEO's bonus was this year. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which by the way, if you lay off people in a year, you should not get a bonus that year. Just a note for any Is CEOs right? listening. Yeah. That's how I, that's how I evaluate it. Yeah. That's where you come down on that one. Yeah. You like should you did, not get a bunch of variable comp when you fired a bunch of people. I just think maybe not. And that's okay. just like a basic humanist that's a principle. Controversial that I take. I know. It kind of is on Wall Street, but that's <laughs> it my very much is. That's my tech. two cents. Yeah. yeah They're okay, like, look I at what a great it. job I did firing all these people. Where's yeah, my bonus? Well, that was hard work they had to do from yeah, wherever to, they to were create and eliminate those in. jobs in the same calendar year. And they had to draft that memo. Yeah, it's true. And you know how hard it was to draft? They had to copy another one and click Control-V, Control-P. <laughs> or Control-C, Control-V, and put their name at the bottom. Okay, so one of the questions that was in this episode guide was, with our people-positive and complexity-conscious hats on, what would we recommend? And what that sparks for me is, in an in an exercise where we do have to say goodbye to colleagues for cost reasons, yep. might we actually separate the people positive and complexity conscious frames? So one of the things that I'm noticing in this conversation is that this is a highly emotional event for the people locally involved. And it is a highly operational event yep, and for everyone else and sort of surgical event for people who are farther removed. And most of the workflow just pretends that it's all one event. So it's right. like the severance number and us thanking you for your service and your outplacement support and hugs from the manager and, 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 and it's all one thing. Like it's in one binder and it's one conversation with one person. And what I'm wondering is how might we parse actually the very operational part of it from the relational part of it nice and and have either two separate events or two different ways of moving through those processes that aren't commingled i can see a quadrant in my head oh my god we have to stop making quadrants it's become our bingo <laughs> our shared bingo square is on this so, podcast making a four box grid here's what i'm hearing I'm hearing on the emotional side of this, there's an experience that's being had by the person being laid off and everyone left behind. Uh And so how do we process that? And there's some, we've talked about some like positive practices there around making space for grief and having real conversations and like how we do it and close to the elevator and all that kind of stuff. So that's like, that's like those two buckets. And then the other two buckets are the operational, what happens after? And I actually think in both cases, super anemic. So in most cases, they're like, oh, yeah, here's the packet. There's outplacement services and they are trash. Mm-hmm. And it's not we're not really going to help you find your next thing. We certainly we don't really care about that, like to the level that we could care about it. And and on the same token to the, in the internal, it's like we're going to figure out how this all works on Monday, but we're not really going to figure it out. We're just going to ask you all to work like 60 hours a week while we kind of slowly rebuild the Lego mm-hmm. structure. And I think it would be very cool, to your point, to take a much more aggressive stance on the second half, on the operational, for both parties, what happens after moment, and, mm-hmm. and spend less time on the former, which mm-hmm. is like, the former can be clean, it can be tight, it can be authentic, it can be open, it can be whatever, but like that's over fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. And then we're into the what's next part. And it would be amazing to have truly exceptional placement and career services for the departed folks and to have like real OS level, let's fix our role mix, our, our, you know, do like a proper role workshop with the, with what's left of the team the next, the next week to -hmm. just like figure out what's going to happen, what's not going to happen, what can be punted, like all that shit. Mm -hmm. I think that would be extraordinary. And that, and both of those moves would be unusual, I think for compared to the mean. Yeah. It's also, I'm thinking about the order this happens in. And one thing that I think since, like I said, in my experience, when you're giving someone the information in the moment, they can't retain it. But you can't just say, you're being let go, no information about (laughs) anything else. Right. So one thing that I like is the idea of communicating broadly or just having an agreement or policy about what we do when we lay people off. So that 
so that we don't have to explain that in the moment. Yep. People can already know that. And yep. if we are going to announce something that's like some number of people will be let go and here is what they will get, then when we do that should be followed fairly quickly by something that is only to help with the emotional support in the transition moment by someone right. who knows what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> yes. And then to your point, then there's the group thing afterward, which is both help them process and understand what's going on and grief and all of the other things. Because also everybody else has that moment of like, I didn't even know this was possible. Yeah. And like, oh my God, like I didn't, I didn't even know that Jeff like could be fired. And yeah, now, yeah, yeah. He's just, that's could be me. Everybody's like, that could be me, you know? So dealing with that and then also dealing with the OS from there separately. Yeah, in that order. Yeah, exactly. Separately. Yeah, yeah, endorsed. Okay. Dig Major it. endorsement. I mean, look, it's always bad. Mm-mm, it's yeah. always bad. It's never good. But Mm-mm. don't wait until you have to lay people off to get rid of poor performers because it makes the good performers who lay off feel like shit. <laughs> don't commingle the personal and the operational because then both suffer. And do have people who know what the fuck they're doing do this role like any other work inside your organization. I love it. It would fit on the back of a rock band's touring t-shirt. Just like, Where are my t-shirts? Yep. The people want t-shirts, Aaron. Yeah. And ideally, instead of saying I screwed up, don't screw up. Just a thought. It's a very, don't screw up, don't take a bonus if you do. Right? I mean, I'm just saying, (laughs) I've been at this for a long time and I've only done like true layoffs once in 20 years. So like, just don't be like that if you can avoid it. Be a little bit more disciplined. And if you do do it, don't take that Christmas bonus. You're not getting Jelly of the Month Club this year. Love it. (laughs) That feels like a place to wrap it. Y'all feel free to throw us more questions about this topic. I feel like we just scratched Mm -hmm. the surface of it today. And there's probably a lot more to say that will be prompted by your thinking and and ideas and prompts. So so send them to us at Podcast at the Ready. Yeah. And and fire off a review while you're at it. Let, Let folks know how you're enjoying the show on whatever platform you listen on. A quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin, as always, for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. As for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something.